Take your Bibles and turn with me if you'd like to Matthew chapter 21. We'll read three verses of Scripture, verses 42, 43, 44. Matthew 21, 42 through 44. Scripture says, Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, and on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. The name of this sermon is the head of the corner. Familiar passage of scripture in many of the gospels as well as the Old Testament. And I would point out to you first of all here by way of introduction the simplicity again of the Bible and of Bible teaching and of Bible doctrine. The Bible with God the Holy Spirit as its author has been given to us in a manner that the educated or the uneducated can understand. Whether it's agriculture or whether it's building. Many times those two things are used in a way that everyone should and would be familiar with. And here the illustration is of building, building a habitation, building a building, building a house, whatever, with a spiritual meaning behind it. So again, we praise God for that, that people did not have to be educated or scholarly to get the truth of God's word. It is revealed, and as far as language or meaning, it is given in a simple, illustrative form that all kinds and types of people may understand. So we praise him for that. I was raised in a house that had no foundation. It just sat on rocks. And I'm not saying that to, for you to pity me or be sympathy with me or what have you, but... If any of you or all of you are familiar with building, that may seem quite unorthodox, but if you go back in previous generations and olden times, people did what they had to do with, and there was not cement and cement trucks, and there was not equipment to dig footings, and people built houses, and they were very common in where I lived in Arkansas. All the houses, in fact, in the rural areas were like that, when people got ready to build, they gathered up some rocks and they got the smoothest and the squarest and the best ones they could and they began to set wood on top of rocks and that's the way the houses were built. There was no skirting or anything as you would know it. The dogs, the chicken, the hogs, if they got out and anything else could go under the house. Go in one side and come out on the other. That's just the way houses were in many rural communities. However, previous to that, in many places in the world, of course, Solomon's temple, the temples of old, Jerusalem walls and things like that, the pyramids, there have been great structures, haven't there? Set with great huge stones and marvels of engineering and reaching very high into the sky. So whether it is a simple house or whether it is an elaborate temple, we still begin with our subject, a corner, and the head of a corner. 
A cornerstone in that regard is where it all begins. As the old saying goes, you got to start somewhere. Well, I've never seen anything that, well, I take that back. I started to say I've never seen anyone start in the middle <laughs> rather than at a corner. But I will admit I've seen some stuff that looked like where some people started in the middle instead of a corner and should have started in a corner. But the bottom line is the corner's where you start. Why, why is a corner where you start? Well, it only makes sense, doesn't it? Because at a corner, guess what? You have two intersecting walls, don't you? One going one way and one going at another, and they're supposed to be at a 90-degree angle. So whenever that cornerstone is set... It's determining the direction one way and the direction another 90 degrees. And for an example that maybe would be more adequate or understandable, normally a lot of times people pour a footing, don't they? And then you may use a block structure. I had a house built that way one time. And so you lay out, dig that footing, and the footing can be rough. And it can be too deep and it can be too wide. You don't want it too narrow. But you do want it close enough to square that when the block layer comes, he can set the block square. But when he sets that first block, and I've, I've witnessed this not only on my house but on other When he sets that first block on that footing, it determines where every other block he lays is going to be laid. I mean, every one, if it be ten, a hundred, or ten thousand, that first one will determine the very space where the rest of them are going to be. Now the importance of that is all of his blocks in the square or rectangular of that house needs to be on the footing, don't it? If you don't set the right one in the right place, guess what? Before long, your blocks are going to run off the footing and they're going to be on the dirt and then you're going to be in trouble. Well, everything I'm describing to you has a spiritual lesson behind it. If the chief cornerstone of your life is not Jesus Christ, you have no real foundation or else your life is going to run off of a foundation and be out on the dirt. And that's the bottom line. And this is the very reference that is being made here in other places where Jesus Christ is referred to as the head of the corner or in some places in Scripture, the chief cornerstone. Now there's a Scripture in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18 that I'm going to point out to you that sets this forth with another wording. And it is this, He, Christ, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in all things He might have the preeminence. And we stress preeminence because a cornerstone is the preeminent object of the whole structure. And God has determined that the fullness of the Godhead bodily would be manifest in the second person of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Christ as the preeminent one, everything rests, is connected or relies upon Him. Just like that 
cornerstone. And we would say to you again, in examination of your own life, and all of us should examine our own lives, if Jesus Christ is not the preeminent object, the preeminent person, the preeminent purpose of our lives, then whatever our lives are, are not going to amount to nothing. That's the teaching of the Bible. You lay the wrong cornerstone and the rest of it's going to be a mess. And we say today by the authority of God's Word that any faith, any religion, any belief, any doctrine that does not rest upon the Lord Jesus Christ will crumble and will fall and will fail. Any faith of any kind, no matter how strong, that does not rest or is not placed upon Jesus Christ will fall. Human life, your life, my life, we might use the metaphor, is a building. Since the time you've been born, it is progressing. What's it progressing into? What's it going to amount to? Remember that when you die and I die, your life is nothing but that little dash between two dates. That's all it is. What can be said of your life? He built his life upon money. He, she built her life upon fame. He built his life upon... How vain. What an epitaph to say their faith was solidly upon their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you be worthy of having something like that on your tombstone? Christ must be the chief cornerstone or our life literally has no foundation. Many religions, the dominations, psychologists, philosophers, and what have you, nothing new to now, have always asked the question, what is life? What is the meaning of life? What is existence all about? What about? I've just told you. It begins with God and Christ as the chief cornerstone. In Resting upon Christ, we enjoy peace, tranquility, salvation, blessings now, blessings future, the promise of heaven. If Christ is your chief cornerstone. If Christ is not the chief cornerstone, then there is misery now and damnation later on. It's so very important to have the proper cornerstone in your life. Jesus illustrated this. Very clearly, I believe. In the last illustration he gave in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, before he ended that great and wonderful discourse, he said this. I'll paraphrase. The man that hears my words, takes heed, and does them, is like a man that builds his house upon a rock, right? The person that does not heed does not do, it builds his house upon a sand. And the floods came and the rains came and they beat upon both houses and one stood and one perished. What's he saying? You better have the right foundation. And if Christ is not your foundation and the chief cornerstone of your life, then I say unto you, you better do some close examination. I want to speak to three things from our text here. 
concerning Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone or the head of the corner that the Scripture speaks of. In verse uh, 42, we want to talk about the rejected stone. And then we want to talk about a stone of stumbling. And thirdly, a stone of grinding. And that is in verses 43 and 44. So first of all, the rejected stone. The stone that the builders rejected, where Jesus is quoting here. And the reference to which he is referring to is Psalms 118 and verse 22. If you want to look at that very quickly, it's very simply put. Psalms 118 and verse 22, The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. Also, there is a scripture in Isaiah 28 that references that. And let me read that to you also. Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Obviously, both of these scriptures are prophetic of the coming of the Messiah. The Bible promised that God all the way back in Genesis 3.15, from the seed of the woman would bring forth a Savior. He's called many things in Scripture. And one of them is our title, the chief cornerstone. He's called a branch. He's called the Messiah, the anointed, various numerous other things. But it was prophesied that God would provide, God would bring forth, God would supply this individual. And of course, this was to be God's own son. So the reference there in Isaiah chapter 28 and in Psalms 118 is of none other than the Lord Jesus Christ that is being spoken of. And particularly there in Isaiah 28 and verse 16, notice again how specific and personal that is. The Lord God says, I lay in Zion for a foundation. This is with purpose. And he elaborates upon this stone. It is a stone. It is a tried stone. It is a precious cornerstone. It is a sure foundation. Now Peter quoted this, and let's go read what he said also, and we'll put all of this information together in our exposition. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6 and 7. He says, Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, he adds, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. So we see here that speaking of Christ, there are those who view it, view Him as being precious, the anointed of God, 
the prophesied Messiah, the only one who can save or deliver us from our sins. Others reject and stumble over him. So, notice those things that it says, those adjectives. Foundational, tried, elect, and precious. All of those pertaining to the eternal, everlasting Son of God. He was pure. He was without sin. He was without spot. He was without blemish. He was better than anything or anybody because He was the only begotten of the Father. Point being, illustration being, God did not appoint an angel for the chief cornerstone. You get that? An angel would have been wholly inadequate. It's a created being. Of course, since the fall of man, there's no human being that could have been laid as a chief cornerstone. And anybody who tries to be the chief cornerstone is bringing an insurrection upon what God has done. And of course, anybody who calls himself Christ or a Messiah has done that very thing. Do you realize that? Jesus, remember, said that. There will be many come in my name and saying, I am the Christ, and here is the Christ. You know what they're saying? They're saying, I'm the cornerstone. Huh. You hear that a lot in a lot of cultish stuff also, don't they? People wanting to take the place of the only begotten of the Father. But there's only one chosen of God for that purpose. Only one precious. Only one tried. Only one foundation. Paul himself saying, we build upon no other foundation than that which is laid. And that being Jesus Christ. Meaning again, God set that stone. I don't know how many of you are familiar with with that type of work or have seen that type of work. I grew up with some of that type of work. I have mixed mud for brick layers, block layers, and things like that. It's rough work. It's hard work. But it is, again, it, it builds character, it builds integrity, as well as muscles and things and so forth. Also, I have been around and worked with masons who laid rock, uh, Rock laying in Arkansas was quite popular because we had a lot of very nice rock in Arkansas in the area of which I live. So that was very popular in that regard. And there were people who could lay them good and there were people who could absolutely make a mess out of them. But again, uh, I remember a lot of people I knew and friends and, and what have you, we could be driving down the road and say, boy, there's some good rock. Look at that rock. right." I mean, they could pick them out. And, you know, a guy that's involved in that could do it. They saw, and this is a great point, so here up. You know, somebody that was not into that, it's just a rock laying in a field. But to somebody who laid those things, they saw something totally different. Like somebody that was a carpenter could look at a tree and appreciate the material that was there. You say, well, this is exactly what Peter is referring to. To those that see and accept Christ as God has anointed him, placed him, designated him, then he is precious. There's nothing any more precious But others, the unbelieving, look at the same thing and see nothing. Think about Christ's ministry. Some saw Him as the Son of God. Some said, come, we have found the Messiah. Some of His own disciples, remember that? What did others say? Isn't this the carpenter's son? You see what I'm talking about? So again, and I've labored for those guys, and and I might look at a rock and think, I don't think that will ever be used in... The rock layer find a place for that thing, you know? He would see something 
that others would not see. And that's exactly the same thought here. But can you imagine the anticipation and the expectation and the hope of the Jewish people through the centuries, generation after generation, as prophecy and more prophecy was added and more details were added that the Messiah is coming. Not too long ago we preached on the virgin birth. The Bible gave us a timetable, gave them a timetable. When he would be born, told us how he would be born, told us where he would be born, and all kinds of things. And then in the fullness of time it came to pass, didn't it? And everybody that knew anything would be so excited that this was finally going to be fulfilled. Well, the excitement quickly turned to disappointment among many, did it not? This text that I've chosen here in Matthew 21 is in Mark and in Luke also. And something noteworthy is in all three of those Gospels where this text is taken and this subject is about the head of the corner, the chief cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a stone that will grind to powder. It is preceded by a parable, the same parable. So all three gospel writers wrote it in the same way, in the same order in which it occurred. Jesus gave a parable. I'm not going to have time to go into that, but it is the parable of the husbandman that went into the far country, you know, and lent out his vineyard, and and they beat the servants and ended up killing the son. And Jesus said unto them and put the question to them, so what will the husbandman do when he comes? And they say, well, he'll punish those wicked people that did all of that and he'll get somebody else in there that'll do it right. And he said, you're exactly right. And Jesus used that parable to teach the Jews that your rejection of me will be exactly the instrument or the means that I will use to give the kingdom to another people rather than yourselves. And in fact, in Luke's account, turn with me there, I want to point out something that Luke records in this that nobody else does. In Luke chapter 20 and verse 16, Mark and Matthew do not have this in there, but Luke does. In chapter 20 and verse 16, all of them speak of how when Jesus said that, this perceived that he was speaking to them, then they got mad and wanted to kill him. But notice this. In Luke 20 and 16, it says, uh, here he didn't, it's not, the question is not presented, he states it. He shall come and destroy these husbandmen and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid. Now, why would they say that? Because they already knew he was talking about them. And they did not want that to happen. They knew it belonged to them. And they did not want that happen. And then again in Luke, he followed up and said, Well, have you read the stone which the builders rejected is to become the head of the corner? Now, again, when you lay rock or block, you have to have the blocks or the rocks in close proximity to where you're laying them. And working for a rock layer one time, the blocks are easy because you just go stack them up there. They stack real nice. Rocks aren't the same way. In fact, the good rock layers, you don't put rocks in a pile because every rock is different. And if they're piled up, the rock layer can't see what kind of rock is there. Blocks are all the same, so you can stack them any way you want to. You're going to get the same thing every time you reach down and get one. 
but the rock layers I worked for would have a certain amount of rock laid out on the ground. And as they're laying the rocks, then they would look down and, you know, they're in their mind they need a rock of a certain size for a certain place. And so they would look out there and be able to look and see which rock they wanted or needed. And being the gopher or the labor, many times they'd have me or somebody else go get it for them if they didn't want to stoop over and get it themselves. But the bottom line is, with all those rocks laying around and you bringing cement to them to lay them, you could very easily be stumbling around all over stuff all the time because it was a mess. Rocks laying all over the ground. Well, the same thing is what we're reading about here, you know. The chief cornerstone is something that many would end up stumbling over even though it was perfection. And this is so ironic that this illustration is used concerning Christ. Christ was the only begotten of the Father. He was the promised Messiah. And from 12 years old until he became a man and and upward, they were having problems with him, it appeared. Especially when he began his ministry, wasn't he? Instead of embracing him, they continued to stumble over who he was, over what he taught, and everything about him. And this is so sad. But to the Jewish people, both then and now, the nation as a whole rejected their own Messiah. Now, are we surprised at that? Shouldn't be. Because not only did the Scripture foretell everything about Him coming, but it also told us the circumstances by which he would be received and what would happen to him. Remember the famous quote in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 3. Let me turn there right quick and read that to you so I get it right. Isaiah 53 and verse 3, speaking of him, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteem him not. In John's Gospel chapter 1, we read these simple words in verse 11, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Exactly what the Scripture foretold and prophesied in our text, in Isaiah and in Psalms, the cornerstone deemed and appointed by God would be, excuse me, rejected by men. Now I want to think think you think about one thing here at the end of this point, and then we'll press on. Think about how this all unfolded and appeared when Jesus, at the end of His ministry, entered Jerusalem the last time to take the Passover and, of course, to be crucified. How did he come into the city? He came sitting upon the foal of an ass on a garment which no man had ever sat upon the foal of this ass. People were triumphant. They were laying palm trees, palm leaves down in the way. 
as a pavilion for him to walk over or ride over, laying their garments down, praising him and saying, Hosanna to him that cometh. Remember that? I mean, it was was more than a parade. You would think that everybody was embracing the chief cornerstone, right? In a week, what happened? There was a conspiracy. There was a paying of money. There was a betrayal. There was an arrest. There was a mock trial. And in that mock trial, just like a rock layer chooses one rock over another, Pontius Pilate, the little puppet governor, gave the Jews a choice. Remember that? Whom would you that I release unto you as a custom, as is customary? Jesus, and I'll elaborate here, the King of the Jews, your King, the Messiah, in whom I find no fault? Or Barabbas, a known insurrectionist and murderer? What was their choice? Barabbas, what will I do with Jesus? Crucify Why? What has he done? Crucify There's the rejection, the ultimate rejection, the final rejection of the Messiah, the appointed cornerstone. As you know in Jesus' ministry, the Jews, Pharisees, Sadducees, lawyers, scribes were constantly showing their rejection. But the finality was right then and there. They made their choice. And so, as the Scripture says here, This is what it referred to. This is every time in the Gospels it shows up there. Jesus is pointing out to the Jews, you are rejecting me. And that will be your demise by doing that. So it's very sad. The cost of their rejection, very clear. The kingdom and all the blessings associated with my kingdom will be taken from you and given to another, just like in the parable of the husbandman. No wonder they said, God forbid. They wanted those for themselves. But they rejected the appointed chief cornerstone. It's also referred to in our text as a stone of stumbling. And I want you to notice in our text that it says, the stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. Now, the Jewish people would not accept Christ as the cornerstone, but He was the beloved of the Father. And that stone was set anyway, even though the Jews refused to have anything to do with it. Who said it? Well, God did. From old, you know, Christ is the eternal everlasting Son of God in that respect. And Christ's kingdom and he himself and his person, his work and his teaching was set anyway and it was set in spite of the rejection of the builders. We see this in lots of things. You know, something you may reject, say, I ain't got no use for that. That ain't no good to me. And say, oh, I can use that. And we've done that vice versa because, you know, You don't have a purpose, I have a purpose. Or I don't have a purpose, you have a purpose. You know, for the same thing. Something that is of 
no value to one is of great value to other. Going back to what Peter says, to you which believe, he is precious. Precious. To the unbelieving and disobedient, a rock of stumbling, a stone of offense. Peter emphasized this when they healed the man in Acts chapter 4. Verses 10 and 12, he says, Be it known unto you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. And he refers, This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. You notice that? Very important. You rejected it. You passed over him. You would have nothing to do with him, but God established him anyway. Anyway. And you know this to be true in the book of Acts, but let me back up just a little bit. Jesus' ministry proceeded in spite of all who were against him, and in spite of the devil, he still fulfilled all Scripture, went to Calvary, died, rose again the third day, ascended into the heaven. That stone was set, set. Let me put it to you this way. Make sure you get it. What was some of the last words or the last three most important words before Jesus commended his spirit to the Father that he said on the cross? It's finished. You know, when you set block or rock or something in concrete and it sets up, it's done. It's, it's there, isn't it? When Christ died, when Christ was buried, when Christ was resurrected, and when Christ ascended to the heaven, folks, that stone had been set. Jesus had already started his church. He didn't start it on Pentecost. He started it in his personal ministry. When he ascended to the right hand of the Father, that stone of his kingdom, of whom he was head, and his church, it had already been set. And let me say to you, visualize a big stone. Not a little stone that a little structure sets on, but a big stone. A stone like in the pyramids that is so big or in a temple or a palace or that a pillar sets on. So big it takes hundreds of men and beasts to get the thing in its place. And that once it's there, it's not going to be moved. Jesus said that concerning the church. The gates of hell won't move it. The gates of hell won't destroy it. The gates of hell can't take it anywhere because it's set. This is what Peter said. This is the stone which you guys said it not. You looked at it and said, nah, we don't want nothing to do with that. Guess what? God went ahead and put it in its place. Then here's what he says. Look at verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name in under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Paul emphasized this in Ephesians chapter 2 beginning at verse 19 when he said, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And remember, he's speaking to Gentiles. This is to whom the kingdom was given when it was taken from the Jews. Was to who? A nation that knew not God. Who are they? Gentile peoples, non-Jewish peoples. This is the grafting in of the Gentiles. And notice what he says. No more strangers and foreigners. You are built upon the foundation of what? The apostles and the prophets 
Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building, that is everything else that is built, fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom all ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. You get the idea of the whole building there? Again, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, a building together, and what's going to be in the building? The habitation of God through the Spirit? This is Christ. And so in spite of men's rejection, the stone was laid anyway. And it's still there. And it always will be. And it's not going anywhere. At all. Now, the Scripture also speaks... To this effect, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 8. And this is where we get the Old Testament scripture that speaks of Christ being the stone of stumbling. In the 8th chapter, verse 14 and verse 15, And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling, and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, and for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now there's a typology here that fits Christ, even though the context fits somebody else. Alright? But notice this. First thing it says, He shall be for a sanctuary. What is a sanctuary? This is a sanctuary in a place. And in the Old Testament, the holy place was a sanctuary. It's where God was. It's where holy things was. It's where worship of God took place. The temple was a sanctuary. It's where people went to to meet with God, to pray unto God, to offer sacrifices unto God, and to worship God. And so Christ is, to those that believe, as the head of the corner, precious and a sanctuary. If you are a child of God to do, today Christ is not only your headstone, He is your sanctuary. You dwell in Him. And He indwells you by the Holy Spirit, you see. And let me say this also, anybody who has any other sanctuary other than Jesus Christ, it's coming down, folks. It will not stand the test of God's wrath in time. I just read to you in Acts chapter 4. There is salvation in none other than the head cornerstone whose name is Jesus Christ, the only begotten of the Father. You put any other name there and you have no salvation. You have no hope. You have no hope of heaven. You have only damnation in a devil's hell to look forward to. All right, the text speaks very here, first of all, a sanctuary. But while he is a sanctuary and a place of comfort and a place of blessing to some, he is what? A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense for both houses of Israel and for a gin and for a snare for the inhabitants of the Jerusalem. A gin there would be like a bird trap. And a snare, we know what a snare is and some other type of trap for a four-legged creature. A gin catch birds in. All right? Now think about that. A stone of stumbling... And a rock of offense. I won't ask you to confess to this. You can confess it to yourself. But have you ever went barefooted and stumped your toe and perhaps cursed a rock? That's pretty much what we're talking about here. Now, how many people you think have went barefooted? Well, before there were shoes and sandals, everybody was going barefooted, right? And even then, you can stump your toe. So this is something that everybody would could relate to, right? A stone of stumbling. It hurts. 
I've done it many times when I was a kid. I couldn't go barefooted from here to that back door now. But when I was a kid, I, well, I know people, I had a friend up the road. His feet, their feet was like shoe leather. Toughest feet i ever seen. I never had feet that tough, and I went barefooted a lot. Stumping his toe didn't hurt very much. Man, it hurt me. This is what it's talking about. While it is a, he is a sanctuary to some, he's nothing more than something that causes pain, injury, and offense to others. You know, if you're going barefoot, you don't like to walk on rocks, do you? You like to walk on a soft place. Well, the same thing's true today. People find the teaching of Christ too hard for their feet. So they're happy to go trotting off to some place where it's a little softer. Heap to themselves teachers having itching ears like a dog want to be scratched behind the ears. But the text says here again, a stone of offense, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Something that offends. And I will remind you, you know, there's a scripture that speaks of exactly what I'm talking about that complements that scripture in Isaiah. I'm going to read it to you real quickly. It is in Luke chapter 2 and verse 34. And this is when Jesus was born and Mary and Joseph came to the temple. And there was a man there that God had promised by the Holy Spirit he would not die till he saw the consolation of Israel. And his name was Simeon. And in verse 34 it says, And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. You know what that's talking about? Exactly what we're talking about. While he would be a comfort and a chief cornerstone and precious to many, he would be a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And when you look at his ministry in the Gospels, you see people doing just that, don't they? Jesus would say something and they stumbled over it and were offended. He asked one time, remember it's recorded, doth this offend you? You know, have I done you wrong because I've told you the truth? You know? But then and now, people see Christ, His teaching, and His doctrine like a rock in the road. It is an obstacle, it is an impediment to their progress. It is something that needs to be out of the way, done away with, and not heard of anymore. There's nothing new in that. People believe that when Jesus was here. People believe that today where the gospel is preached. Our time is already gone. I can't believe it. We'll cut this to a close here and maybe just go ahead and finish this tonight while it's fresh on our minds. But let's close with this thought. What is Christ to us? Just a brief, quick, ending examination here. The text says, the gospel accounts is, this is the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Do you view the head cornerstone as a marvelous work of the Almighty God? as a provision for salvation for your soul? Or is He an encumbrance, an inconvenience, a thorn in your side, a pricking in your heart, because He spoke and taught in a manner like nobody else did? He spoke the truth because He was the truth. 
And the truth is offensive to many. And it is so sad both then and now that the truth of the gospel when presented, many stumble over rather than embrace it for the value that it is. We'll put that question to you today and you can either rejoice or do some serious heart examination. And I pray that Jesus is your chief cornerstone because if it does, then your life has meaning and your future has meaning. But if Christ is not the head of your corner, then you're building in vain. And remember what the Bible says, except the Lord build the house. Bottom line, you're in trouble. We'll continue tonight. God bless this to your hearing.